What's up? What's up, people? We, um, we have a little bit of a different background today. We're back to normal a little bit. We had to switch up the storm. We think there was a storm last night, for those of you in Anderson. Might have knocked out our internet in the back part, and so we have internet in the front part, I think, hopefully. Are we live right now? Are we good? Are we on? Awesome! So, happy Father's Day, everybody. If you're a dad, I wanted to say happy Father's Day to you. Hope you get something special today. Hope somebody grills you a steak or grills you some ribs or gets you a brand new car, something like that, because you're a dad. So happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Um, we're continuing a series we started last week on spiritual warfare. And so if you have a Bible, you want to follow along, Mark chapter 4 is where we're going to be today. Now, if you missed the series last week, you can go to um, Apple iTunes and listen to the message there, or you can go to our Second Chance YouTube channel and check out the message there. Um, but last week we just did a 30,000 foot overview of spiritual warfare, and today we're going to dive back into it. So once again, welcome. I almost forgot to say hey to our friends up in Tennessee um, at LifeSpring. Super glad that you guys are with us today. Hope every, everybody has a phenomenal Father's Day as well. Spiritual warfare, we've seen the movies. Well, you've seen the movies. We talked about that last week. I don't go see those movies. But we've seen the movies where people's heads are turning around and priests are flying across the room and all, all kind of stuff like that. That's not spiritual warfare. The spiritual warfare that I'm going to talk about today are the little distractions, or in some cases, the big distractions that take place in our life. So if you're taking notes, if you're a note taker, i got four main points today I want to cover. The first one is this. When it comes to spiritual warfare and what we're going through, Jesus hears our cry. Jesus hears our cry. The Bible says in Mark chapter 4, verse 35, that day when evening came. Now notice this phrase right here because this is real important. When evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Now, things have changed in 2,000 years. Lots and lots and lots of things have changed. But things have also remained the same. This culture was primary, primarily an agricultural culture. I mean, they did agriculture. So in our society, when evening comes, what do we usually tend to do? We tend to Anybody? Sleep, rest, kick back. But something happened. Something triggered Jesus. You know, he's, he's, if you read the whole chapter of Mark chapter 4, he's been working all day. He's been healing people, teaching. There's all kinds of activity happening in Mark chapter 4. And all of a sudden, we get to this verse, and it says, That day when evening came, so I'm sure the apostles, they're kind of getting ready to lay down and relax and kick back and enjoy themselves a little bit. And just as I'm sure Peter's getting ready to prop his feet up and sit by the fire and talk about all the incredible things that happened that day, Jesus said... Let us go over to the other side. So when they were going to get ready to just kind of chill and hang out, Jesus goes, no, 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 no. We got to go. Now, what, what is it that triggered Jesus to move at a time when people would typically rest? Well, I can't prove this, but let me kind of set this up because this is what I believe. If you've ever had a newborn, now, I want to go here. This is your firstborn child. This is not true of your secondborn or your thirdborn 
especially number four. But, but firstborn baby, you remember bringing that baby home and how, number one, you followed all the speed rules like going home, like you came to a complete stop, you judged people, you were taking people's tag number down. If they, and you, you, you went the speed limit, you pulled in, and you brought the baby inside and you laid the baby down. You remember this? If you got a fir- the, the, the firstborn, firstborn, okay? If that baby made a noise, just one noise, just one noise, you sprinted toward that child, okay? Second baby, you kind of, uh. Third baby, if the cry goes into the second hour, then you pay attention. Fourth baby, you don't even hear it anymore. But the first baby, I'm talking about the first baby. When that baby cries, as soon as that baby cries, you move. Bam, you're there. It's, it's true. Of, it, you don't even have to be a Christian to care about your child, right? I mean, that's just the way it is. So I remember when um, we brought Karis home. Karis is my daughter, and, and she was upstairs in her crib. I'm downstairs in the kitchen kind of doing some stuff. And I think she was about eight or nine months old. And I heard this blood-curling scream. It wasn't a, it wasn't a grunt. It wasn't a cry. It, it's the loudest thing I've ever heard her do in my life. And so I'm in the kitchen. She's upstairs. I've never been known for my speed. Like when you look at me, you don't think, wow, that guy's fast. Um, but as soon as I heard her cry, I was on my way because I'm her father. And I didn't know what was going on in her life. But I wanted to try to get to her to figure it out. Now, I'm sure the whole time that she's crying, as best as she can understand, she's probably wondering, where's my daddy? And, but the whole time she's crying, I'm on the way. Don't miss that. The whole time she's crying, I'm on the way. The whole time she's crying, I'm on the way. Which takes us back to Jesus. Um, Luke tells us in his gospel, Luke chapter 5, verse 16, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So in other words, there were just times where Jesus had to get away. He had to break out. He had to kind of get out of the crowd a little bit. Now, the Galilee area where Jesus did most of his ministry, by the way, quick time out, I'm doing another trip to Israel in like March or April, March or April of next year. So if you're interested in going, um, you should go. I've had a lot of people go, it's on my bucket list. Well, Get out the bucket, scratch it off, because it's amazing. But the Galilee area, it's so beautiful. And there's Sea of Galilee, and basically this landmass surrounds it. So sound in the Sea of Galilee region would have carried very, very well. So, I mean, I don't know if you've ever been around water, but water just carries sound very, very well. Now, Now, think about this for a second. Jesus is by himself, and he's praying, he's focused. But like last week we talked about, the Bible said in Mark chapter 5, verse 5, night and day, we're talking about the demon-possessed guy. Once again, if you missed last week, you gotta go, you got to go get it. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. So imagine this for a second. You got a guy over here crying out. You got Jesus over here hearing this guy cry out. And as soon as he hears this guy, he tells the disciples, let's go over to the other side. Here's what's amazing. This guy didn't even know he was crying out for Jesus. He just knew that he was in pain. He just knew that he was dealing with some hurt. 
He just knew that things weren't right in the way that he was living, and he cried out. See, here's the good news. You don't even have to be a Christian to cry out to Jesus, and Jesus still hears your cry. This guy in this story, hear, this guy in this story is hurting, cries out, and I believe, I believe Jesus hears his cry, comes to his disciples and says, let's go, there's somebody. And while he's crying, Jesus is on the way. Don't miss that. While he's crying, Jesus is on the way. And the reason I say that is there might be some people out there today that you're living in some, there's something going on in your life that's causing you some pain, that's causing you some hurt, that's causing you some uncertainty. And you're crying and you think he don't hear you, but listen, if he's not close to you yet, it's because he's on the way. Jesus always hears us when we cry out to him. Um, one of the reasons that I'm so excited about our church specifically, and I told you last week we're going to be able to have that permanent facility, hopefully it looks like mid to late September. One of the reasons I'm super excited about it is because I believe we're going to create a community where people can cry out. Like, the church world isn't, church isn't supposed to be a castle of condemnation, but rather a basement of grace. It's not supposed to be a place where you come and pretend that everything is okay. It's supposed to be a place where we all gather together, all admit that we're jacked up, and all admit that we need help. So at the end of the day, Jesus hears our cry. And I want to say that to the person that feels like you're suffering alone today. If, 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 if he's not answering you right now, and that's how we usually want God to answer right now, it'd be great, but he's closer than you know. He's on the way, and he's got a plan that's greater than you could ever imagine. Which leads to point two. Which leads to point two. Um, Ed, my phone just reset. I have no idea, so I'm going to need you to manually go to point two for me. Can you do that? Jesus is calling us out of our comfort. So Jesus hears our cry, but Jesus is also calling us out of our comfort. Let's go to this next verse. Next verse. Mark chapter 4, verse 36. Mark 4, 36. Go ahead. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. Now, this is, this is fascinating. Where they were, the location where they were was called Capernaum or Capernaum which means comfort. Literally, the place they lived was called comfort. So in order to get where they needed to be, Jesus was calling them literally out of comfort. Now, I was having this conversation the other day, and this is something I'm kind of passionate about. I was having this conversation with somebody the other day, and they were thinking about getting a new mattress. And I think that if you're going to make an investment in life, you need to invest in a great mattress and a great bed. Because statistics say that we spend like a third of our life in bed. Some of y'all probably spend half of your life. I don't, I don't know, but a third or a half or whatever. And so I'm having this conversation, and I'm talking about my mattress. I've got an awesome mattress. I love my mattress. It's the mattress you, you just lay on it and you kind of sink down into it. Not only do I think you need a good mattress, I think you need really nice sheets, like high thread count sheets, and they just feel like they just 
become one with your skin. They're just so amazing. And not only do I think you need high thread count sheets, I think you need like a big, thick, puffy comforter, like a down comforter or something, and you put that on your bed. I think it's amazing. And not only, listen, not only, I'm, I'm describing my bed right now, but not only that, but I went to Target just a few weeks ago and bought one of those really cheap box fans and stuck it in a chair where it blows directly on me because I love for it to be as cold as ice in my bedroom. And every morning I wake up happy and comfortable, but you know what? It's a habit because when I used to wake up, years and years ago, I did this, I broke this habit, but years and years ago, when I used to wake up, I was so comfortable and I had the covers pulled up right here. I would just say these words, to myself, many people have said these words. Five more minutes. All I, need, all I need is five more minutes. If I just had five more minutes, this would be amazing. If I just had five more minutes, this would be unbelievable. And, and five minutes for me would turn into 10 minutes, would turn into 15 minutes, would turn into 20 minutes. And, and Sooner or later, I just had to say, you know what? As soon as, as soon as I wake up, I'm up. That's what happens to us sometimes in our walk with Christ. We, we, we can get real comfortable. And Jesus right here in this text is calling these guys out of their comfort zone. Because don't miss this. Don't miss this. Jesus has great plans for our lives, but it always starts with a small step. Because ultimately, Jesus was going to call these men to take the gospel across the world and how in the world could he trust them to take the gospel across the world if he couldn't trust them to take the gospel across the lake it's very simple jesus is always calling us out of our comfort zone and that step is always at first it's a small step that leads to big things so let's go back to like some really practical stuff when we experience spiritual warfare once again it's not like things flying all over the room Let's just talk about reading our Bible for a second. How tough is it to read your Bible? I mean, I know people that really struggle with this. I, sometimes it's a struggle for me. How hard is it to read your Bible sometimes? Now, I want to pause. You could never read your Bible again for the rest of your life. God would love you. We don't read the Bible to get God to love us. So I want to just get that out there. But can we admit... Now, I've had some people go, well, I just don't like to read. That's not true, because we read the internet every day. Um, I, can, I can read a book. Like, I read The Hunger Games when the books came out. I read all three books in four days. I was on vacation, just chilling by myself, and I, I just blew through those books. But how hard is it to read the Bible? A lot of people go, well, I don't read the Bible because I don't believe it. Well, I don't believe Harry Potter really happened. But it didn't stop me from reading it, right? I mean, it's, it's, I don't believe everything on the Internet. But, but it doesn't stop me from going on the Internet. I'm, I'm just, this is all I'm saying. This is all I'm saying. I think reading the Bible in whatever way, shape, form, or fashion is good, whether it's five minutes a day or ten minutes a day, whether you listen to it on an audio version, whether you read it on your phone, whether you actually have an actual Bible, doesn't matter. I think it does us some good. But why is it that there's so much resistance to just reading our Bible? Or how about prayer? Let's take prayer, for example. Why is it so hard to pray sometimes? That's difficult for me to understand because it's not hard to talk. I don't have a hard time talking. But sometimes I have a really hard time praying. Or even this, or even this, going to church. Why is it so difficult sometimes to go to church? 
We can take our family camping, which is weird. Um, we can take our family on vacation. We can take our family to a football game, especially like Clemson. If they have a 12 o'clock kickoff, you can get your whole family up in the car over there by 6 a.m. and you're grilling out and you got, we can do that. But it's really difficult to get that same family that we got to the football game on Saturday to get to church on Sunday. What is that? Can, can we acknowledge that there might be something like some sort of spiritual resistance there? And when that happens, we have to make a choice. Do we give in or do we push through? Do we give in or do we push through? Because these guys, these guys could have said, Jesus, it's evening. It's time to relax. It's time to chill. But instead of giving in, they decided to push through. Um, th this, is, this is so huge for us getting out of our comfort zone. L let me just say this, and I got this on my in my notes before I go to the next point. If you're really struggling and wrestling with something, did you know asking for help is one of the most uncomfortable things that people can do? But it's in many cases, the only way that God is going to move in your life and begin to work and heal you. Asking for help is incredibly uncomfortable. So, but can we admit that there's a spiritual element to that? So, so, so that, that was point number two. Point number three is the storm is evidence of our significance. When we're going through a storm, the storm is evidence of our significance. Now, the reason I say that, the reason I say that is because in a lot of church backgrounds, people would say that the storm is evidence of your sinfulness. So the only reason you go through a storm is because you're sinful. And that's not true because the disciples were about to go through a storm. Don't miss this because they obeyed Jesus. The only reason they wound up in the storm is that they listened to the word of God. That's it. It's the only reason they wound up in the storm. So, so when people tell you the storm is evidence of our significance, like people, I know people that, that their tire goes flat and I was like, oh, God's punishing you. God's not punishing you. You drove through a construction site. That's why the tire went flat. All right. So the storm is not evidence of our sinfulness. The storm, I would argue, is evidence of our significance. Let me tell you what I'm, let me tell you what I'm talking about. Mark, Mark chapter four, verse 37 says this. A furious squall came up. Squall means storm, okay? And the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Now, keep in mind, keep in mind, these guys are expert fishermen. They're experts in everything that they do. But this storm freaked them out. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. I told you this last week. I'm not going to tell you why. Sorry, Wanda. Wanda's been mad at me all week. I'm not going to tell you why, but remember that cushion. In about two or three weeks, that cushion's going to be real important, but I can't tell you why. Not yet. So he was sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, teacher, don't you care? And we talked about that last week. How sometimes we ask Jesus, don't you care? Don't miss this. We've got two groups of people crying out to Jesus in this text. We've got 
the demon-possessed guy crying out. He don't even know who he's crying out to. He's just crying out because he's in pain. We got the disciples crying out. Both people are crying out. Both groups of people get an answer, but not in the same way. If there's 8 billion people in the world, Jesus works in about 8 billion different ways. So, he's sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. I don't know about you, but have you ever underestimated someone? I used to love to play tackle football on Sunday afternoon. Tackle football, not touch, tackle. Even if a girl came out, well, can you, no, no, if she's on the field, I had a guy one time brought his son, he was nine years old, he said, I want my son to play, so can we touch him and tackle everybody else? I was like, you need to understand something. If your son gets the ball, and I'm on defense, I will maul him, all right? This is tackle football. And, and I was a pretty decent tackle. Now, I, and sometimes I sit around and think I should go play again, but I'm 46, turn 47 next week. It's, it's not for me. It's not for me. But sometimes I dream about playing backyard tackle football. Anyway, I never forget, I showed up one day. There's this guy there. I didn't really know him. He's about 5'8". Um, and I'm about 6'6", so he's 5'8", and he's kind of stocky. And I'm kind of looking at him, he's looking at me, and I'm like, you know what? This guy right here, I, I'm not worried about him. So we got on opposite teams, he winds up getting the ball, he's running toward me, and I braced to, to tackle him because I was getting ready to take his head off. Never will forget this, most, one of the most embarrassing moments of my life. He plowed me, like put his shoulder right here my feet came off the ground. I landed on my back. He kept running, put his foot right there on my body and just kept going forward. I under, true story, true story, true story. I'm not even gonna tell you his name because it's not important. And if you're watching, you know who you are and I, I'm still gonna get you back for that. I know vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, but I gotta help him sometimes. So <laughs> I, never, I never forget underestimating him. I think one of the biggest mistakes we can make the spiritual warfare is underestimating our enemy. The devil's powerful. With that in mind, let me ask you this question. Let me ask you this question. And by the way, if you disagree with this and you're on Facebook, you're on the internet, I don't have time to argue about it this week. You've got a lot of stuff to do, okay? Um, and so, but, but, but the question is this. Who sent the storm? Is Satan powerful enough to control the weather? Huh. It's crazy, isn't it? Who sent the storm? Can Satan actually, at times, control the weather? Absolutely he can. Now, some people are like, uh, I, don't, I don't know, Perry. I don't know. Let me ask you the question. What did Jesus do to the storm? He, what he, what's this word right here say? Rebuked. Why would Jesus rebuke himself? Because Jesus was God in the flesh. So if God sent the storm, why would Jesus rebuke something that God was doing? Because Jesus himself said, 
A kingdom divided against itself will surely fall. So the reason Jesus rebukes the storm rather than just calming the storm is I don't believe the storm was sent by God. I think it was sent by the enemy. And I don't think the enemy was trying to take Jesus out. I, don't think he, I think he knew he couldn't take Jesus out. I think he was trying to get the disciples to get discouraged and to doubt their calling. And hey, if we hang out with that guy, storms are going to come. By the way, if you, if you want more evidence of this in the Scripture, in Job chapter 1, Job's children get killed ultimately by a storm sent from Satan. Now, don't start asking me about, did Satan send the hurricane? And I, I don't know. I just know right here in this story, I believe it was sent by the enemy because Jesus spoke and rebuked the storm. Every single one of us watching today have either been through a storm or you're in a storm. Why in the world was, was the enemy coming after the disciples in this storm? And we could go back and forth, but I believe the enemy knew if these guys really bought in to the calling that Jesus had on their life, they were going to literally change the world, and they did. And which is why I'll come back to you, and which is why I'll come back to me. The reason the enemy is attacking you, the reason the enemy is after you is, is not because of your sinfulness, it's because of your significance. He knows there's something valuable in you. He knows there's something awesome in you. Listen, thieves don't try to break into empty houses. If the enemy is coming after you, it's because he understands that when you begin to follow Jesus and I begin to follow Jesus step by step, not only does it change us, but it changes the rest of the world. So I want to encourage somebody out there today that's in the middle of the storm. Listen to me. You're going to make it, you're going to make it through this storm. You're not going to die in this storm because the reason you're in this storm is you followed the Word of God in the first place. So don't let the enemy's storm cause doubt and discouragement in your life. It's not an indication of your sinfulness. It's an indication of your significance. Which leads to point number four. What Jesus speaks is stronger than our storm. What Jesus speaks is stronger than our storm. When I was a kid, it, well, I, actually this is true today. It's not just true about my childhood. I had ADHD. Now, today they've got like medications for it. They can diagnose it. Um, I grew up in the 70s. They didn't really diagnose anything. There was a lot of um, visits to the principal's office because I would just have ideas in the middle of the day, like get up and walk around the room. Um, and I would, I would. It's a true story, I would. Um, and I could be in a room and kind of um, messing around or whatever, and it was, it was really kind of funny because my father, my father when he was alive, he had this ability to walk into a room and no matter what I was doing could get my attention with one word. I could be over here, I could be messing up, or one time I remember I got out all the pots and pans because I wanted to learn how to play drums, and it just made sense to me that plays those with the silverware, and I'm kind of in the floor doing that. My dad could walk in the room, and he could say one word. Hey. Had my attention. That's all I had to say. Hey. Had my attention. One word. All he had to do was speak, and he had my attention. And that caused me to think about this particular passage because when Jesus woke up from the storm, well, let's just look at it again. Let's just look at it again. Mark chapter 4, next slide. He got up, 
rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. Notice this, the word of God is what calmed the storm. Not the disciples worry, not their freak out, not their meltdown. The word of God is what calmed the storm. It's what calmed the storm in their lives, and I believe it's what calms the storms in our lives. He just spoke, hey, storm calmed down. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Which I want to stop. I just want to stop. I don't think that was a rebuke. We talked about this last week. I, thought, I think that's a question. Hey, guys, 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 don't you understand who I am? Why are you so afraid? Like, don't you have any faith? I mean, guys, I've, I've got this, and I've got you. Um, the, and it says, they were terrified. This freaked them out, as it would me, as it would you. They were terrified. And asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. They got a clearer picture of Jesus because they went through a storm. Everything I know that's good about God, I learned it in a storm. I didn't learn it in a class. I didn't learn it in a, even a sermon. Everything that I've learned that's good about God, I've learned it in a storm. So if you're in a storm, if you're in a storm, listen to me, just start looking around because I believe it's the storms that allow us to see Jesus more and more clearly. Personal example. Um, today's Father's Day, and this is it's kind of a... Um, Tough day for me. Not because it's Father's Day, because I've got a great relationship with Karis. But um, Father's Day two years ago was my last sermon at, um, at New Spring, where I used to pastor. Father's Day. I had no idea on that day it was going to be my last sermon. And to say that the past two years have been a storm would be an understatement. I, um, I, I never saw this coming. And I've experienced some emotions and some things that I never thought I would experience. And as you can imagine, if you've ever gone through anything like this, sometimes it's really easy to get down on yourself, to doubt yourself, to doubt your calling, to doubt just your ability to be a good human being. But just the other day, in fact, when I was in Israel in, the, in a little uh, town called Netanya, I'm reading God's word one morning, and he spoke to me so clearly. And he said in Joel chapter 2, verse 25, I will give you back what you lost. I don't know exactly what that means. But I can tell you that in that moment, 
God's word spoke into my storm. And though he did not change my circumstances, he changed my perspective. Sometimes the biggest miracle is not when God changes our circumstances, but he changes our perspective in those circumstances. So with all this in mind, I just want, listen, if you're in the middle of a storm, I just want, I just want to encourage you with some things. In fact, let's do a really quick review. Number one, Jesus hears our cry. If you're, if you, it doesn't matter if you know Jesus or you don't know Jesus and something is broken in your life and you're crying out, he hears you. He really does. And if, if today, maybe, maybe you've been carrying guilt or shame or doubt, you're, you're just carrying all this with you, maybe today is the day for the first time ever you need to cry out to Jesus. Because just like as soon as you cry, I believe he starts moving. Which leads to number two. We talked about the fact that Jesus is calling us out of our comfort. And for some of us, that for us just to cry out for help, it takes us way out of our comfort zone. And, but Jesus is calling us out of our comfort. What, what step is he calling us to take today that's going to be uncomfortable but leads to something unbelievable? The third thing we said is the storm is evidence of our significance. So because you're going through the storm, don't think it's because of your sinfulness. Look at it as you're significant. I know some people, I know some people right now. In fact, I've had conversations with them over the past two weeks. When they make it, not if, when they make it through this storm, what they're going to be able to accomplish for the kingdom is going to be unbelievable. And number four, what Jesus speaks is stronger than our storm. God has a word for us. If you're going through a storm, God has a word for you in the middle of your storm. He's spoken to me with Joel 2.25. I don't know what he'll speak into you, but I know if we posture ourselves in a position where we can listen, he will absolutely speak. With that in mind, let's pray. Father, I want to thank you so much for, for how good you are. God, you're good when the weather's good, and you're good in the storms. Father, I want to thank you that you've never wasted a storm in our lives. And I pray for the person right now that's watching, God, that might be in the middle of the worst situation, the worst storm they've ever experienced. Relational, spiritual, emotional. God, I pray that you'll speak to their heart right now and encourage them. If, if, with heads bowed and eyes closed, I don't know what you're going through. I know there's some people watching today. Very likely, you're in the middle of a storm. And right now, just in your heart, right where you are, you just need to tell Jesus, I need a word. I need you to speak to me. M maybe, maybe, maybe today you realize that you need a relationship with Jesus. Maybe, maybe you've never asked Jesus to come into your life. If that's you, no matter where you are right now, 
whether you're live spring or you're watching online, you can, you can give your life to Jesus today. Giving your life to Jesus doesn't mean that you'll never experience storms. It does mean that you'll make it through every one of them, though. I can guarantee you that because he's with us in our storms. And if you never ask Jesus into your life, I want, right where you sit right now, you can ask him to come in. You can just say in your heart right now, Jesus Christ, right now, I ask you to come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. I give everything to you. I believe you died on the cross and you rose from the grave to pay for my sins. I receive that payment. Show me how to live for you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. If you, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you just prayed that prayer, if you're at LifeSpring, would you just put your hand up in the air right now? If you'll just put it up really high in the air if you're at LifeSpring Church. And if you're online, if you'll hit the little hand raise button, like you raise your hand, or if you're watching on Facebook, if you'll do the hand emoji, just because we want to know, we want to celebrate with you, we want to celebrate brand new life, help you take your next step in your walk with Jesus. And everybody look this way right before we get ready to close. If you're going through a storm, shoot us an email. Um, hello at perrynoble.com. Hello at perrynoble.com. We would love to pray with you and pray for you this week about what you're going through. Because remember, the storm doesn't mean it's not evidence of our sinfulness. It's evidence of our significance. We will be able within the next two to three weeks to give you some building updates. Um, if you weren't here last week, we do have a permanent facility. It's located off of Clemson Boulevard right behind the Verizon wireless store. Uh, it's in the same shopping center where Barbaritos and Fuji is, and we are doing a renovation project, uh, hopefully completed, like I said, by the end of September. And people have asked about wanting to give to that. I want to thank you, by the way, we've already got people giving to that. Um, on our giving page, uh, or on our um, website, uh, mysecondchancechurch.com, if you click give, you can have the option to give to the general fund. And thank you so much for those of you that give every week. Or you can give to the fund called 250K. The reason we call it 250K is we need $250,000 to complete this project. And so um, we just got really creative around here at Second Chance and said we need $250,000, so let's just call it $250,000. And so that's what we're trying to raise in the next three months. And people are already giving very generously to that. We would encourage you. Um, have we hit the goal yet? No. In fact, if we hit the goal, I'm not going to tell you because I just want I just want to just maybe we can just do more. I don't know. But that's the plan, and we'll be giving you updates from the facility as the construction begins. I hope all of you have an amazing Father's Day. The best really is yet to come.